Welcome to the FinTV podcast series, where we tap into the collective expertise of the world's leading supply chain, manufacturing, and digital innovators. My name is Maria Villablanca, the co-founder and CEO of Future Insights Network, and I'll be your host. Join us every week to hear the opinions, lessons, and general guidelines from the industry's leading minds. FinTV, insights for today's digital leaders. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of FinTV. Today, we've got a really special person joining us, and I'm really excited because she's joining us all the way from New Zealand, so we're all having to work in different time zones right now. Uh, so I'd like you to welcome Alicia McKay, who is the co-host of a podcast called What's On Your Mind Podcast. She's also an author of a, a great book from Action to Impact, The Strategic Leader's Guide to Doing Good Shit which I think is a great name. So Alicia, thank you. Welcome to the podcast. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hello, and um, yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, so look, I'm, um, I'm here in New Zealand where, uh, I'm not sure what time it is where you are, but it is 6.30 in the morning here, uh, bright and early. Uh, and look, I do, I do a lot of work with, with business and government really on, on strategy and on change. So those are two really jargony, words that potentially aren't that descriptive or, or helpful, but essentially I help people to, to make better decisions and particularly to do that in, in a changing environment and to make that change real. So I think um, we're all facing change right in front of our noses in a way that we probably haven't, at least in our lifetimes uh, with the pandemic. But what's interesting about that is that it's one thing to lead through crisis, and I think we've had a lot of leading through crisis in the last few months, but actually we're, we've, from a senior leadership perspective, we're always leading through change, and I think in, in many ways, leading through emerging change is probably harder than leading through crisis. Uh, in crisis, you've got mandate, you know, you can change everything, there's a burning platform, it's obvious that you need to change, you've got permission. Uh, you've got resources you can mobilize. Emerging change is a bit different, but it's there all the time. So, so I think it's really interesting to, to think about that. But that's where I spend a lot of my time, um, coaching leadership teams, training um, high potential leaders so that they can lead differently uh, and doing, doing strategy work. So I, I love the concept that you talk about emerging change you know, versus crisis because the, the, the industry and supply chain is always changing. It's been changing for so many years. Uh, and it's, I think, when I speak with the leaders that I interview in our podcasts here, and uh, when I talk to people for our digital events, a lot of them say that they almost went through different phases in, in this crisis. The first one was the, yeah. oh my gosh, panic mode. Uh, the second phase was, wait, hold on a second. I, I kind of know what I'm doing here. Let's just go back to processes, what we know how to do well. And then the third one, which I think is the one where we're at now, is what opportunity can come from, from this crisis? Do you find anything similar to that when you talk to the leaders that you speak with? Yeah, ab absolutely. So we all kicked into hero mode uh, quickly. And so what's interesting about that crisis leadership sort of injection of adrenaline is like your potential survival is threatened and so you start making fast decisions and spending money and pointing people in the right direction and just you know you go into absolute survival mode and um, I think I think you're absolutely right we went through a bit of a kind of in-between period and now I think it's around right so 
we've had to change in a way we didn't expect to, and we've done it much faster than perhaps we thought possible. We can see that, like all change, there's a dark side and a light side, and potentially there's a whole lot of opportunity and mandate and permission here that we might like to seize. But how do we do that before it's gone? And so we've talked, we talk here in New Zealand, um, I, I run a podcast here with, with a leadership expert called Digby Scott, and he described it not very long ago as it being sort of like the, the train station uh, to Hogwarts for Harry Potter, where there's a platform nine and three quarters. There is a window of opportunity where we've still got the mandate and the permission that's come with the crisis, but no longer so much the, the intensity and short-termness of the immediate crisis response. How do we run through that platform now before it closes? Because it's not open for long. And it's kind of that, it's almost the gray area between the crisis lead leadership and, and the change, because we've got people who've been trying to roll out change inside their organisations or in their sectors for a long time. And they're going, ha ha, oh, we can work from home all of a sudden, can we? Well, I've been saying that for 15 years. Uh, and I think there's a whole lot of examples of that where it's like, oh, this is our window. This is our little platform nine and three quarters. What will we do? I think you're absolutely, you're absolutely spot on. Uh, you know, before COVID uh, occurred, everything in the industry was revolving around digital, tra digital transformation, right? And so you yeah. see these dollar businesses that are supposed to have everything organized, supposed to have everything spot on, but they're cope, trying to cope with all this change right now, right? Uh, then all of a sudden comes COVID. So add the whole complexity and crisis and disruption to that. Uh, and it's really become very difficult for leaders to manage the pace of change on top of the uh, disruption and the uncertainty that's happening. Um, what advice do you give to people who are sort of feeling this way? Yeah, so I think that there's a huge opportunity at the moment to use your short term to create your long term. And if there have been big picture projects that you've been trying to get off the ground for a long period of time, whether that's digital transformation or whether that's changing your operating model or whether it's looking at any aspect of the way you do business, this is the time to make changes that, and they don't have to be um, the, the massive, all right, well, we've had this, you know, three year digital transformation project. Now we're going to make it all happen. This is the time to embed an experiment, I think. So We've had an opportunity to try new things and maybe that's the way we use technology or the way we think about our time or the way we use people or where we put them. And if we've done that experimenting now, if something's worked, keep it. Mm -hmm. You know, so when it, when it comes to systems, it's like, if something works for us, we need to find a way to make it the default, right? So it's all very well temporarily disrupting business and what we've noticed here in New Zealand, and I think we're in quite different positions at the moment, actually, New Zealand and the UK. But what we've noticed here is, uh, so we've, we've eliminated coronavirus and we've got people who've now returned um, to offices and we're getting back to life as normal, yeah? And so people are like, the world is never going to be the same. We're all going to live and work differently. We're not going to be all getting on the train every day into the office. Um, we're not going to expect everybody um, to operate in the same way that they did before. Well, guess what's happened? <laughs> and just we've gone back weeks, to normal. Yeah. We've gone back to normal. And we've got a the, the default or or the status quo or business as usual is a very powerful force. Yeah. And if that's what is embedded into our default 
systems that's that's what we'll that's what we'll go back to we'll revert to that familiarity and whether that's in a after a large crisis like a pandemic or whether it's just every day and you t show up to work and you're just a bit bloody tired and things didn't go well last week and you go into default mode right so if we've experimented with new ways of using technology or with new ways of running a supply chain if we've had to do that in a crisis if that's something that we want to keep we've got to embed it really quickly we've got to make it the default rather than the thing you have to think about doing to make it happen so timing is of the essence you know and actually taking advantage yeah. of this this platform nine and three quarters you know is is absolutely imperative you know it's funny because digital transformation i get a lot of people saying to me that um it didn't work out as well as I, as I expected. And you hear a lot of statistics about people saying that 70 odd percent of digital transformation projects fail. And a lot of it is down to culture and teams and leadership and the people element. The technology didn't fail itself. You know, it was just people didn't adopt it or uh, this process broke down or what have you. So I think there's a very big leadership issue right now with regards to change which is one of the big reasons why I thought it was important for us to talk to someone like yourself, as well as the fact that New Zealand has been a very big um, shining beacon uh, in general, in terms of the attitude you all have, the sort of the, the approach that you have in general, your prime minister. So what lessons can be learned there, both from a leadership perspective in general, but also that we could take from a New Zealander, you know? Oh, that's a good question. So I think I think there's a few things in there, and I think um, your comment around uh, the failure rate of large transformation projects and of, of digital transformation projects in particular, I think it's interesting even to describe uh, a process like that as as digital transformation because what it does is it creates an emphasis on technology and tools, which is really it's not at all, right? It's, it's, it's business change. So if we're changing the way that we do business and we're changing our model, and that means that the way that work moves through the system or through the supply chain and the way that people make decisions and how they're supported to make decisions, that all changes and that needs to be the focus of any business change, right? What is the model that we were using before? What is it now? What are the decision points? What do people need to know and understand? Oh, and what tools and resources do we need to support that new way of doing business? Right. And what that's about is, so the technology is all the way down the chain in terms of the hierarchy of that change. And the problem is if you say we're going digital, uh, but then you focus on what you've purchased or how to install new software or what the, or what the new technology is, um, well, that's, that's really bizarre, isn't it? Um, and what we're actually doing is we're changing the way that our company runs and that is supported by uh, tools, and, tools and technology. And so if, if the focus there is on what is it that is now different about our workflow and the way we make decisions and then so what do people know, need to know to understand that and make meaning for their job and what, what support do we need in our business from every aspect, process aspect, decision, governance, delegation the way we talk to customers the way mm. and then you go right and then can everyone use the new thing i think that's that that's the order to do that in and the problem with putting together a budget or a transformation program or a proposal or whatever that looks like for, for digital is that the questions and the focus and the money becomes around what are we buying and but any business change 
digital or not is what you're buying is at the end of the chain. So, so I think part of the reason we see that failure rate is simply because we're not thinking about it like this. Mm-hmm. We're thinking about it like this. Yeah. Uh, and if, if I was to try and link that to the, to the end of your question, which is around, hey, why is New Zealand doing a good job of something hard? What's going on there? Um, I think that, that's kind of the crux of it, isn't it? So yeah. um, what we've seen, from a, certainly from a political standpoint, and I'm, I'm no expert on this, but I've sort of kept up in a way that anybody who I guess is alive at the moment has kept up with what's happening in other countries in terms of a political response. Um, I think we have seen uncertainty and I think we've seen short-termism and I think we've seen um, a focus on potentially not the right priorities, right? So where we've seen leadership fail internationally and for really dangerous results, you know, these are decisions that cost people their lives and people their businesses, is that we've had a really short-term focus and it's been fear about public reaction and then when we have implemented rules, um, they've been unclear and they haven't, they haven't focused on what people need to make sense of those rules, right? So what I really appreciated about being New Zealand, particularly when we went into level four lockdown at the end of March, which was, you know, go home, stay home, was that we had absolute clarity, right? This is the situation. This is what really matters here. What really matters is that we do our bit to save people's lives. What you need to do is you need to stay home. You need to act as though you have the disease. Don't go anywhere. Thanks, New Zealand. We need you. And we're like, all right, well, that's very clear. We know why we need to do it. We know what we need to do. There's no gray area here. There's no, could I, should I maybe see my friend if there's a, no, no, it's just, this is, this is why we're doing it. This is what we expect of you. We'll support you how we can. You know, if you lose your job, we'll pay you a, we'll pay you a benefit. If you need, if you can't pay your staff, we'll pay you a wage subsidy, you know, but this is what, this is what we need to do. Oh, very good. Very clear, linked to what, to what, how it works and focused on how it makes sense to us. Right. Whereas we watched the same thing happening and I'm going to pick on Australia for a second. At the same time that we went into level four here and we had absolute clarity, um, Australia was trying to do something similar. And we watched this comical media interview with the Prime Minister where he was trying to make their rules also sound very sensible. And he went, right, you know, it's a, you know this is good. We've got to respond to this. Uh, but also, you know, what's really important is the economy. So we don't want to, like, respond, respond. But we are going to respond. So we need you to stay away from each other. And so what that means is you need to keep a one-metre distance and stay home. Unless you're getting takeaways, you can get takeaways. And you can get a haircut. But don't get your hair cut for more than 30 minutes. And you can go to a funeral, but there should be 10 or fewer people at the funeral. But if it's a wedding, there can only be three people. And really, you know, just keep a, a one meter, one square meter around you unless you're at the mall. Thank you very much. And we're just like, what are you supposed to do with that as a person? So now I'm going, well, this coronavirus thing can't really be that big of a deal if I can still get a haircut. And if the prime minister isn't too worried about it, and is more concerned about saving our airlines, then maybe, maybe it's just the flu. Maybe this has just been overblown. And, and oh, well, if I can, I'm just calculating in my head, if I can pick up takeaways and bump into three people there, what's the difference to go around to my mate's place that I see all the time for a drink? That'll be fine. And so you can see that 
it doesn't make sense. It's not clearly linked to why it matters in the first place because all your priorities and your direction are getting muddled. And, and there's no clarity about what it means for you. So if we take that, say, for example, from a leadership perspective in a business, do you think it, so many leaders create those gray area moments, those gray yeah. areas that then just open themselves up to potential in misinterpretation and... Totally. Yeah. Totally. So when I work with, with leadership teams and we need to look at implementing or communicating something new. So we've, we've landed on this great new direction and we're like, right. Um, so it might be, hey, we're going digital or it might be, look, it's time to simplify or it might be, look, we're transitioning from a, a service provider to, to a center of excellence or whatever that is, right? We've got, a, we've got a new change that we need to implement. Right. Well, this isn't going to happen unless we've got the rest of the business on board. So what do we need to tell? What do we need to ask and how do we need to support? So these are, this is, these are the three questions. And what often happens, which is just fascinating to me, I think over the last, I don't know, maybe 10 or 20 years, that the pendulum on the, on the leadership communication style has swung all the way from authoritative right across to facilitative. And now what happens is we have people that bring someone like me in, spend a whole bunch of time and money developing a new business model or a new strategy. They go to roll it out to their staff and they stand up and they go, all right, we're doing this new thing. So what do you think if we got it right, if we missed anything? What's that about? So, so why do you think so that we is? see that? Well, well we so see that total. Well, because we've been told we need to empower people, haven't we? We've been told that, Engaging with people means giving them decision authority and, um, and giving them help that owning the change means they need input. But what's problematic about doing that is it's, it's disingenuous because there's no actual, that's not where people need the input. So people often say that, um, oh, people are just resistant to change, aren't they? And I don't think we are at all. I don't think the data supports that at all. Humans have been changing and evolving daily um, for as long as they've existed, right? We, we thrive on change. We're adaptive creatures. What we don't like is uncertainty because that creates fear. So I think what is really important if we think about what do we tell, what do we ask and how do we support is what kind of certainty are we providing? And then where is the opportunity for you to make meaning and ownership? And so that might look like, all right, everyone, we need to change the way we do business because if we continue to do things manually, we're not going to survive. This is your context. This is your tell. What we will do is focus on these three things, you know, whatever those three things are. These are our priorities. We need you, this is still, still in your tell, we need you to do this. And then the ask piece is, does that make sense to you? What does that mean for your job? Mm -hmm. And then the support piece is, hey, what do you need to do that well? What tools do you need? What resources do you need? What do you need to make this happen? And it's a completely different conversation to, we think we need to go digital. What do you think? Have we got it right? Well, but, I, and it's just I'll add to that. They, that they clarity. Create, you create task forces and committees and you know conversations that last a year about should we, should we not? How should we do this? Yeah. Let's bring Bob into the table. No, no, John, you come here. Mary, you come here. Let's bring all of you into the conversation. And 
then nothing gets done. I, I once sat through and a Then nothing gets done because yeah. there's, there's nothing wrong with diversity. Like it's very important at the decision, when we're shape, building understanding and shaping choices, it's really important that we've got diversity of perspective and that we have, that we understand not just what's happening at the exec table, not just what's happening at the board, but that we understand what's happening at the front line. And the only way to do that is to bring those voices into the conversation. So it's that whole iceberg of ignorance, right? Top line managers only ever know 4% of the problems inside a business. Middle managers only ever know 9%. By the time you get into frontline, they know the lot, right? So we mm-hmm. absolutely need customer perspectives, frontline perspectives, and perspective from across the business. That is not in question. But that's at the building understanding and shaping choices piece. And that needs, as you've rightly pointed out, that needs to be time limited. So, right, we've got three months or six months to build understanding, shape our choices and make a decision. Once we've made a decision, then we need to communicate that and implement that in our business. And here's how we're going to do that. And you're you're absolutely right. We get as far as we're going to build understanding and talk to people. And then it just kind of drags on, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And then you wonder why you've got adoption issues, you know, why people don't sign on to this project because they've seen it, it's destined to fail. And, and, and how could they? Because they don't really know what it is. And this might be like that other thing that we tried to roll out two years ago, but it never really stuck. And maybe if I just, maybe if I just sit back and keep my mouth shut, this will go away too. And we've created this, um, this expectation that actually if something's sat in a task force or a committee or a working group for six months, it's probably not going to happen anyway. And so people expect that. But then I think when we communicate, we don't do it in a way that makes it very clear and sensible to the people we need to adopt the change, right? So if you're speaking to a bunch of middle managers, then the conversation needs to be framed around, this is what it means for you as a middle manager. This is what it means for your work and what we need of you. If you're speaking to to frontline staff or if you're speaking to customer service representatives, it needs to be, and this is what it means for you and what we need you to do. In the same way that Jacinda goes, hey, this is what's really important. This is what it means for you. Stay home. Here's what, we'll, here's what we'll offer to support you in that. As opposed to, this thing kind of matters, but maybe we're not sure, and maybe do this, but we're not sure about that either, which is what we saw happening initially in Australia. And the two, I think those two leadership communication styles are a really good example of the difference between people-focused, clear communication and fast rollout which was what happened initially in New Zealand and clumsy dragging on unclear uncertain yeah uh, leadership focused yeah which is what we saw in Australia and actually I'm going to stop picking on Australia because overall they've actually done a bloody good job like that yeah well you've you've got the perfect example I mean I'm in the UK at the moment and we have the highest mortality rate in in the UK in Europe for uh, COVID and a lot of people and without getting political and picking too much on the UK as well there were a lot of questions about how slow it was to be rolled out and Boris Johnson with his, well, you, you can do this, but you're not, you can do that. Well, maybe you possibly can do this. So there was a lot, a lot of uncertainty going back. Let's talk about leadership. You, you really, really go into the communication aspect of leadership. Uh, so does a good leader need to be communicative? That's a given. Yes. But what's the difference between someone who considers themselves to be a good communicative leader to someone who can actually get things done? 
Yeah, right. And so it's the difference between communication and influence, isn't it? Because communication is about this, but influence mm -hmm. is about mobilizing others. And so when I work with leaders, I talk about four key areas of leadership. And when it comes to strategic leadership, right, which is where I work, which is all about adapting to change, essentially. Mm -hmm. The essence of strategic leadership is how are you moving towards the future and adapting to change. And so we talk about there being four four key components. And so one of those is about making decisions. So that's about strategic thinking. How do we anticipate? How do we process information? How do we set direction? Yeah. So this is this is one. The second one is systems. And so that's that's creating and building a powerful organization. What are the how how do we see the world? What are the connections we're able to make about how things fit together? The third is performance. So that's how do we get shit done at an operational level? How do we drive that in others? How do we enable performance? And the last piece is about influence. And influence is about mobilizing others to action so that you can have impact at scale. And what we tend to do when we work with leaders or when we develop leaders, we being capital W, big we, is we, we try to typecast people. So most leadership frameworks seem to go, okay, well, you're an ENTJ or you're a blue yeah. or you're, you know, and so this is how you lead and this is what you need to do. And these are your strengths. And that's mad. It's just, it's just mad. And it's, um, it's reductive and it's unhelpful because I think it needs to be, well, actually, if, every, if the world around you is changing every day, which it is, well, so do you need to. And you might intuitively lean toward a particular style or you might have, and more likely, you might have developed your skills in a context which rewarded a particular behavior over another. So you might be really good at technical and process stuff because that's where you've spent most of your career. And now you're sitting around the executive table going, I don't know how to make important decisions or how to influence others. And that's cool. But now if you've got an overdeveloped strength, it's time to, it's time to work on the others, right? So, so I think... Yeah, it's not that you're a systems thinker or you're an influencer or a communicator. It's all right. You need to be all four of those things, depending on the situation you're in, who you're talking to and what, what the job calls for. Right. So influence is really important, but it sits inside that matrix of, of the other important skills. And so being influential is unhelpful if you haven't made a good decision. And yeah. if you haven't established an effective system, and if you don't know how to turn that into operational performance, and it's that knowing how to put each of the puzzle pieces together that makes leadership work. When you go into companies or you would go into advise governments, what is the most common thing that you find uh, that is causing the blockages or the failures of different types of projects? Oh, that's a good question because I tend to work with really good, really motivated people who get stuck. So I think yeah. the word blockage is a really good way to describe it. And particularly with government, I think there's this perception that, oh, bureaucrats and brown cardigans and, you know, wasting time and wasting money and sitting around. And I'm like, oh, these people care so much and they're trying so hard. Like it's not at all that it's anyone on glide time. So yeah. So what are the, what are the blockages and what is it that's stopping us from taking an idea and making it happen? And I think, I think that's different for every business. I think it's different for every organization. Um, but 
I don't think we learn how to turn our thinking into action. So if, we've, if we're sitting in the senior role and you're sitting in your board or on your working group or on your committee and you've gone, okay, well, these are the things that matter and these are what we need to do. That's, so if we talk about those four aspects of leadership again, that's your brain in that decision point, right? You're, you're operating at mm -hmm. the strategic level and you're thinking about the, the big picture. What you can't do at the same time, because this isn't how our brain works, is then switch into the opposite, which is details, implementation, and performance, right? So you can't switch from one to the other. You, you can switch from one to the other. You can't do both at the same time. And knowing which situation calls for which behavior right. or which is, is, I think, what's important. So what happens is we, we call these meetings. We, we bring people together. And what we want them to simultaneously do is understand a new trend, learn about a new technology, make an important decision, and think about how to mobilize people. And you can't do all of those things at the same time. You can only do one. Mm. So having a clear decision process and then having a very structured understanding for what happens at each stage, I think is really important. So this is the meeting that we, that we build understanding. This is the stage in the process where we shape our choices and consider options. This is the point where we make decisions. This is the point where we plan for implementation. And so having that clarity about at which point where the decision sits, so who's doing what, and at which point what it is you're doing, so you're not trying to do the same thing every time, and also having that end point. And I think yeah. what happens is we, we, don't, we don't do that. We don't structure our, de our decision processes or our thinking processes. We think we can just do it. And then we wonder why it's not happening by accident. Mm. And this stuff yeah. has to happen by design. Yeah. Okay. So then the common blockages. What, what do you think are the common success stories, you know, that you, where you find that people are doing things really well? What are the things that um, perhaps maybe have surprised you or impressed you? Uh, about those types yeah. of leaders? Okay, so that's a good question. Um, so I, I do a lot of work here in New Zealand with the transport agency. So that's the, the central government agency or bureau that manages all of the transport and roading infrastructure in New Zealand. And there's a couple of things that I've watched happen there recently that I think have been really great. So one of those is a program that we run. Well, it's, it's my program actually, but we run it in, in the agency called Fast Forward. And what that one is about is about taking a strategic direction that's been agreed and figuring out how to make business change happen, yeah. how to make it happen fast, right? And so what we do for that program is we bring together people and leaders from across different levels of the business. And we put them all in a room and we do, it's really similar to what Jack Welch at GE did, which was a workout, mm -hmm. right? Which was bringing people together to solve problems rapidly and giving them the mandate to make it happen. So that's what we do with Fast Forward. We bring together... 20 people from across the business, we put them in the room for the day and go, right, there are three problems we need to solve right now that are getting in the way. Our funding approvals are too slow. Our projects are all going six months over time and we've got this, right? So we pick the three problems. You, what we need you to do is put your head together and figure out small, incremental, powerful changes that we can make to the way we do business to make it happen because we don't know we're the board we're the executive we don't know what's going on in the business how could we you guys you know what's going on you've got our permission to to solve the problems and so what happens is they spend the day figuring out how to make it happen at, at the end of it they come back to their senior sponsor and they pitch them right here's our idea here's what we want to do and on the spot they get the yay or nay 
yep, you can go ahead and do that. They've then got eight weeks as a group to make that happen and to implement. And they're given the support they need along the way in terms of here's how you should have conversations, uh, check in with your, with your senior sponsor if there's any levers they need to pull at the top level. And at the end of the eight weeks, they've rolled out change that's driven by the strategy, but that is incremental, owned by staff, not by leaders, and supported by the people that actually have the power to do that. And it's amazing what can happen in eight weeks. Like it is, it is mind-blowing what can happen in eight weeks. And getting over ourselves and not trying to boil the ocean and create it. I mean, even the word you mentioned before, transformation program. For me, I go, oh, because the word transformation program, I think, oh no, there's a 150 page business case with Deloitte or PwC written on it. And, and there's 27 moving parts. And when you dig into those, there's a hundred different initiatives and it's, nobody knows actually who's responsible for owning which piece of the puzzle. There's no clear accountability. This will drag on. Whereas you take an initiative like fast forward and you go, right, we really need to, to be more digital in the way that we're um, managing our workforce. Cool. What are the minimum viable next steps that we can take to make that happen? And how can we have the people who are actually affected own the change? If we've set direction, how can they own the change? And that is such a better way of working, right? If you've got clarity at the leadership level, yeah. passing implementation down to the people you actually need to adopt it is, is just brilliant because they, they can be the problem solvers. So you've got both that certainty and clarity of direction and, hey, you guys figure out what to do. So, so I love that. That's one example of something going really well uh, and it's something I would like to see, I think, a lot more of because... It's a really brave leadership thing to do, isn't it? Well, you, like, know what's hey. you know, it's funny. You, you're kind of describing the, the kind of atmosphere that is created in a startup business, for instance. Yeah. You know, that kind of agility, okay. that, that kind of, uh, yet, you know, if you go back 20 years ago in business, startups were not taken seriously. But today, you know, startups are disrupting large behemoth organizations. You've got countries like New Zealand with their your prime minister shaking things up and showing the big companies, the big countries, sorry, how to do things. Do you, are you, do you think that we're in such a different time, maybe this platform nine and three quarters at moment where things are changing, things are changing so dramatically that it could be that these larger institutions, governments fill in the blank, may not be around if they don't adopt this kind of agile thinking. Yes and no. So the, the, the power of the status quo, uh, the, the suffocating power of the status quo means these things may, they may not be around in the long term, but we're certainly not going to see them disappear in the future. And I think that's part of the problem, actually, is we do this chicken little the sky is falling thing every time something new happens, as though change is some kind of new phenomenon like the world is changing now it didn't used to be but now it is like what's been changing every day like this is the this is human history what we've done in the last 200 years is insane and we seem to think that once we've made something that's the way things are now and that's the way things should stay but if you look at the history behind the way that we think about any of this stuff or any of our companies like as far as human history goes it's pretty short right and changes, changes every day. And the, I think the challenge is, and we talked before about the difference between crisis change and emerging change, right? Uh, crisis leadership and, and change leadership. Crisis leadership is sexy and fun and exciting and fresh and we can do it fast and it's cool. But 
the emerging change, that's the everyday stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's where the real challenge is, right? It's not to be able to spot a pandemic because, hey, we all spotted the pandemic, maybe some of us later than others. Mm-hmm. It's being able to respond, to anticipate and understand and respond to things as they shift, even when everybody else isn't excited, and to actually lay the foundation for that as we move along. So technology isn't brand new. Digital transformation isn't brand new. We've been talking about this stuff for 25 years and we've been failing at it for 25 years. It's, 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 not, as though, um, it's not as though this isn't what we haven't always had to do. I guess is my point. Mm-hmm. And if we look at government, oh, people, society's changing, the economy's changing, business is changing. That's not new. That's been happening every day every year, every week, every day for the history of human existence. And I think part of the, the, the leadership challenge is actually getting our head around that and accepting that this isn't the exception. Coronavirus is not the exception. Having to go digital is not the exception. Um, economic change, uh, financial crisis, um, shifting consumer demands, adapting to the environment, whatever all those things are that you're trying to do, they're not the exception to normal that you have to make space for outside of your normal, that's normal. And yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely right. I think we sort of make this bigger deal than it is. And maybe we put it in a box because it helps us understand from a human nature perspective, you, you, you tapped into this whole fear element, right? So maybe we put it yeah. into this box, we define it, we set up committees about it, uh, et cetera, yes. et cetera. This is the digital to- spot. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. In order to perhaps control it a little bit more, you know, uh, control the narrative. Uh, But what you're getting at is that we've been changing since we created fire, invented the wheel, uh, you know, came out of the caves, started farming, whatever you want to call it. We have been in a state of flux and change since, you know, we started walking upright. Uh, The question is whether or not as leaders, we can operate within that change without fear and communicate effectively to bring people with us. And that's what you help do. Help people get shit done. Totally. And, and normalize it, right? So if you're sitting around the executive table, it's the questions on the standing items on the agenda need to be, all right, so what's different now? What didn't work? What are we, yeah. what are we changing? What changed out there? What's the next step toward the future? And it's not, um, leave the business as usual, the business as usual management. Um, to the people that are inside the business and run the business as usual. That's not your job. Your job is to be constantly thinking, changing, adapting, looking outside, looking inside, looking in yourself, looking in your team. And if, if you reframe the job, the job of a leader as that, that continuous change management every day, that's your key priority. Well, that becomes a completely different conception of your job. And that means that we don't do things like you've just said, which is completely overcook a change program and make it seem like this behemoth um, exception to our normal business. And it just becomes, well, of course we have a digital transformation program. We're changing the way we go to every day. We're doing that every day. We've got a new opportunity for tweaking a way the, the piece of the chain works and changing that tool. And it becomes your job, not a thing to the side. Yeah, completely see it. So you've got a new book coming out. Uh, yes, the book that- I do. Yeah, tell us a little bit about that. That's right. Uh, So my last book was all about um, kind of that operationalizing strategy. So it's called From Strategy to Action. It was about how do you take that thinking and and make it real. And this book really focuses on that leadership aspect of that, which is actually, so it's called From Action to Impact. Mm -hmm. How 
a guide to strategic leaders doing good shit. And it's about exactly that, which is those four capabilities and saying, hey, actually strategic leadership is about change and changes every day, right? So you need to be too. And the mark of a strategic leader is actually that, um, that ability to adapt and not to be, and I, I, I want to be careful with it because I think there's, there is this branch of thinking around situational leadership, which is mm-hmm. very focused on how do you adapt your communication style depending on the person that you're communicating with. Yeah. And I think it's about a lot more than that. It is about yeah. the strengths that you've developed, what you've got in your toolkit and knowing when to do what. So yeah. that now is the time to be strategic. Now is the time to focus on systems. Now is the time to drive performance and take action. Now is the time to influence and mobilize others. And knowing when you need to be doing what and having the skills in each of those areas, I think I think's really important. So that's what, the, that's what my second book is all about. I've just about finished it. So I should probably, probably um, publish it when I've finished it. But I, well, the you shoulder, know when the shoulder yeah. of mine is making it tough. I was sitting up yeah. last night making chapter edits and then I like, I have to take my arm out of the sling like I've got it now so that I can make the edits. Well, for, then, for our right, audience, you've got to, you, you're injured, you know, for our audience to, to know you're injured. But not visibly. Not visibly. No, exactly. Well, you know, Alicia, thank you so much for joining us. Please let us know when oh, your book you is out because, because everybody's going to want to hear a lot more about this. And I think it's a very important topic. So thank you for doing this at 6.30 in the morning, your time. I appreciate it. No worries at all. That was great. Thank you so much. No worries. And for those of you watching, guys, thanks very much. We'll see you at the next episode of FinTV. Thank you.